This is winging it. <laughs> Are you laughing? No, you couldn't hear that. <laughs> I could. This is winging it, the somewhat whimsical, certainly worrying, decidedly wonky, seldom weighty, endlessly well-intentioned, and wildly witty show about music where one knows what's coming and the other has no fucking idea. Now, this happens in between birds of a feather proper to ensure that you can spend anywhere from 15 to about 180 minutes with us every week. So that sounds like a good fucking time. So... Did you hear that? A loud, obnoxious vehicle? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I heard it. All right. So, now, I know that every time we do this, you have no idea. But do you ever have any guesses like, well, is that that bitch going to throw this at me? Is she going to throw that at me? Or... Well, of course, there have been a couple of lamentable occasions where I did it. <laughs> uh, the show myself. I uh, loved it. Like the last one, which was milked. Moo! Moo. It was, <laughs> <laughs> we, we milked it for two shows. But honestly, would anybody want to sit through that for one show? Yes, I, I did. I okay. sat through it for I, one show, I'm and I enjoyed sure. it. I'm sure, I'm sure. But um, uh, usually it's me that doesn't know. And uh, the whole, she asked me before, am I ready? It's like, how do you get ready for this show? Is your mind completely blank and ignorant? <laughs> yes, okay, you're ready then. What do you see in this ink plot? It's all, it's all about being bushwhacked anyway. And if anybody, if, anybody ever, if anybody ever questions that ignorance is bliss, just they should try a turn as a guest in this, on this show. And you'll find out that ignorance is an asset and a very valuable one too. And, if you, hey. uh, if you sit through the show, you're going to find that out. It works for fucking winging it, if nothing else. Well, and bird banter. That's true, and bird banter. And I'm hoping that you're excited. I think you will be after I share uh, the big moment that we've all been waiting for. Is it's, What is this particular winging it about? Well, it is songs that Getty Lee listed as big influences. All right, listeners. Uh, am I supposed to speak now? Not yet, because no. I'm going to say... <laughs> <laughs> okay. The Rush bassist, keyboardist, and singer Getty Lee inspired a whole generation of musicians, and many important bands were his inspiration when starting the Canadian Power Trio. In an interview with SiriusXM Classic Vinyl Influences show in 2013, he listed some of the songs that were his biggest influences. So, he also went as far as to explain why they were important to him. So I'm going to share that. And we'll see if any of these surprise you, if you agree with him, if they are your influences, and I will do the same. Now you may speak. <laughs> now I may speak. Okay. Well, that was what I was going to say. So, uh, Kenny Lee, yes, Rush Bassist, okay. What would go into a mind as if into a mold, a forge, and come out as Rush music? It would have to be prog. It would have to be heavy. It could be anything. And sometimes there's great surprises. I love this kind of thing. However... I might have a tiny bit of insight uh, into that due to a, uh, a particular Rush album, but mm. uh, you know, the, the, it was all covers. Yes. So if they cover somebody, they must, you know, they must be into. Them, they must, so, or yeah. they must. Somebody must have said, "You guys would do this cover really fucking." Great. I mean, we're talking the Who, mm. uh, Cream, you know. Ooh, so uh, yes, all interesting right, so, stuff. So. so you may have a little, you just glimpse into those brains a little bit. Okay, well, let's see. Let's see here. First, the Yardbirds for your love. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to like that one. I love the Yardbirds, folks. Who doesn't? Uh, I mean, yeah, you have to. Come I on. Mean, come on. And uh, good. Uh, it doesn't really surprise me. He strikes me as sort of a British invasion type. So, no, no. And I, I know for a fact he does like a lot of British bands. So, nope, that doesn't surprise me. I didn't know off the top of my head, but uh, now that I hear it, yeah, I totally see it. Well, let me share some of why he says he loves 
this particular song slash band. The very first band that comes to mind, he said, is the first band that made me want to pick up a guitar. Wow. And that's the Yardbirds. There's a song called For Your Love. It's the first song I ever learned on six-string guitar. Wow. My next-door neighbor had his magnificent acoustic guitar with palm trees painted on it, sort of a Hawaiian motif, and I begged my mother to let me buy it. I think it was like $30 or something. It was the first guitar I ever owned, and For Your Love was the first Yardbird song I ever learned, and I was a huge fan at that time and remain a huge fan. That wow. doesn't surprise me because if uh, – and shame on me for not knowing this uh, intimately, but this Yardbird set I have is very great, very comprehensive, but it doesn't tell you shit about who's playing when, which I want to know. Like, yes. which one of the three lead guitarists, Jeff Beck – Eric Clapton or Jimmy Page are we talking about here? I believe For Your Love was Jeff Beck. I'm afraid that is incorrect. Mm, I do not know that part. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Jeff Beck. It was Eric Clapton. I tried to straighten him out the last time I went through, which is just like a month ago. Oh, the shame of it. So, uh, yeah, I think it was Beck. But anyway, I, it, especially that kind of fusion, that kind of you know metallic fusion like Beck did... With the Jan Hammer group and solo. I oh. mean, come on. It's insane. That, I can see Alex Lifeson doing that. And, of course, it isn't Getty Lee, but he plays with him. So, I mean, it's Absolutely. no no question that he loves that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I could see that. A very pivotal band for him, obviously. First song he learned on six string. I mean, pretty amazing first song he sang. Well, what about Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit? Wow. Mm, yeah, right. That one... That one struck me. He says, well, a band from San Francisco, Jefferson Airplane, mostly. I love them just because Jack Cassidy was one of the first bass players that really got me, really inspired me. He said he had an unusual tone and an unusual way of playing. He dared to add trouble to his bass sound and have a little distortion. It wasn't that I loved the Jefferson Airplane music so much, but I really loved his bass playing a lot. So he was a big influence. So... It's kind of what we think. You're like, wait, White Rabbit, it's the bass. Oh, yeah. And I confess a certain degree of, all right, actually a woeful degree of ignorance of Jefferson Airplane as far as the lineup and everything. Mm -hmm. I know a handful of members and everything. Jeff, Jack Cassidy, I know he's revered, and I didn't know much about him, oh, and I never noticed yes. him. So I plead ignorance on this one. Shame on me. Egg, tar, feathers, the whole bit. <laughs> well, that's okay. I mean, there there's some really amazing bass in Jefferson Airplane. You can certainly say that even if you were like, oh, I don't love their music so much, you can certainly say that there are some amazing musicians that played. And yeah. obviously, you know, Jack Cassidy is certainly one of them. And to inspire a bass giant like oh, Getty, and Lee, Getty Lee. Is, I mean, obviously, he's, yeah. he's otherworldly. He's alien. I don't even I don't even know what to say about that man. I mean, he's just crazy. All right, well here's one that's gonna come as no surprise. Are you ready for the no surprise sound from you? Oh yeah, here it comes. Cream White Room. Yeah, right. White Room. <laughs> Actually, uh, Rush covered uh, Crossroads, but ah. Cream style, you know. Of course, yeah. On the album. I, I want to call it Flashback. Bruce is probably he's sitting, gonna, shaking he's his gonna fist. He's going to shake his fist at us, Bruce yes. is like, it's this, you How idiot. How do you not know that? <laughs> How do you not know? <laughs> I think it's Flashback. It has a picture of a lava lamp on it. It's all covers, and one of them is Cream's. Uh, they do the Who, the Seeker. They do the cr uh, Creams. Uh, not White Room, though, but that's my favorite, of course. I know it's your uh, that's favorite. My, that's my number one. How many times, ad nauseum, have you poor people been subjected to White Room? But I love that song. Um, no, they did Crossroads, and it was it was, aw it was absolute madness. you got to listen to it. It's the most craziest shit you ever heard from a power trio. Love it. Uh, yeah. Well, here you're about to bond with him 
through my telling of his uh, in his uh, love for Cream's White Room. Cream sort of changed my life. They blew my mind, and I remember they were coming to Toronto, and I couldn't get any of my friends interested to go see them. They were playing at Massey Hall, and I went down, bought a ticket, and I went by myself. I just had Hell to see yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, right? That's what I'm saying. He said, I just had to see them. They were such an important band to me. Jack Bruce's bass playing was out of this world. I know you know a lot about Jack Bruce. Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker. I mean, they were the ultimate trio in the most influential band. Oh, sorry. The most influential band on my entire career in many ways. And then he says, the day I bought the ticket, I was walking through a department store because it was chilly out and all the televisions in the TV department had shots of Robert Kennedy. It was a day that he was shot. So it's another thing that I sadly never forget. But Cream were really an incredible band to me. It was incredible to see them live back in the day. And I honestly, they were excellent, even as old geezers. I mean, come on. They were. Jack Bruce was killing it to the end. I was flipping through the channel one night and there was PBS, I think, was on. And some group, I thought, wow, they're playing Cream. These old geezers actually look like cream, and it, they were Wait, back together it again. <laughs> it was, I want to say 2005, but believe me, they were already pretty old by then. And uh, I thought, God, they sound fantastic. And everybody went berserk because Clapton didn't play the wah-wah, didn't use the wah-wah <laughs> to play the solo on White Room. It was like, oh, it was great what he did. Give the guy a break. But it, it was a bit of a surprise. But great stuff. Uh, good good call, Mr. Lee. Uh, I think we're bonded a little bit, bro. Absolutely. Well, and that whole, the fact that it was the day that Robert Kennedy got shot, I mean, that's, that's a sad thing to remember, but still, it's going to burrow itself in your brain. It is. And I'm also with you, brother, my new brother, Getty Lee. Seriously. I'm also with you uh, that it is no big deal to go alone. I've been to so many shows alone, and it kicks ass, man. It does. You don't have to worry about anybody, worry about their, their pussy asses, potentially. <laughs> I mean, just go, going alone, I mean, you're there for the music anyway. That's right. it, it totally rocks. I do like sharing the moment with somebody, but if you can't get anyone to go, I'll go by myself. I mean, nobody wanted to go with me. It's okay. But yeah. I wasn't asking anyway until That's Christina right. came along. So. <laughs> That's right. You're like, I'm not asking. Oh, you want to go? I'll ditch her occasionally, too. but <laughs> Bite me, dude. Just remember he said that. Just remember. All right, the next one. Yes, no opportunity necessary, no experience needed. Wow. So a good friend of Prague, mine. Man. I know. Right, come on. Seminal Prague. Fucking come on. He I says, hate that word, seminal. Sorry. Sem- you hate it and you used it. Yeah, yeah. you used it. I, hmm. I've been reading a lot of shit. Journalists do this to you. Seminal. It's incendiary. <laughs> that's another one. It's better than seminal. I mean, that's true. All right, so he says, a good friend of mine introduced me to a band called Yes and an album called Time in a Word. Oh, uh. fucking masterpiece. The music was really complicated and usual and sort of classically, eh, and sort of classically influenced in a sense. The bass player had an unbelievable tone, a kind of aggressive tone. He played this Rickenbacker bass, and I thought it was just the coolest looking bass. So I sort of dreamed of one day being able to have a Rickenbacker bass. I became a fanatical Yes fan, went to all their shows when they came to town. And I think that they're the only band I waited all night in line to get tickets for. I saw them both in Toronto and this little town north of Toronto called Kitchener, I guess. They kind of inspired me to want to make music that was not easy to play. No doubt. And and Yes didn't beat you over the head with how complicated it was. It just went so effortlessly. Yes, it's so... It is a great album, as uh, you said. And... God, a Rickenbacker. Well, Chris Squire is like kind of like the king. Quintessential. That's it. And I mean... A Rickenbacker. You're absolutely right. To see that, you were just like, yes, I want that. I love that. I'm, uh, I started playing bass when I was 14. I know that you, everybody who's ever heard me is going to be like, how the hell is that possible? Oh, my God. <laughs> but, uh, and I'm 60, 
and I've never even held a Rickenbacker in my hands because music stores won't touch the things. No. I don't know where you go, but... <laughs> no. I have no idea where they show Rickenbackers, but I I've never been there. I assume that it's helicoptered into your, to your mansion, then yeah. you're allowed to look at it, then yeah. they helicopter it out. I think you have to go to an island. But, oh, yeah. that's what it's it an was. Island, it's an yeah. island. Helicopter yeah. situation yeah. still. Uh, yeah, absolutely amazing. And so many Yes concerts, and at the end... Chris gets it and he hoists it up in the air before he leaves stage. It was just the best. He didn't do that for me, but oh, yeah. he did that every show we went to. He grabbed it and hoisted that puppy up at the end triumphantly, mm. holding his bass over his head. He is missed all the time, but thank God we have the music to keep us company and till uh, till I guess the next next bass giant like Chris Choir comes out. Never once in a lifetime. Thank you. Not really gonna happen. Not and gonna I, happen. I've only saw them once, yeah. but it was a good. It was a good one. And uh, they were in the round. It was really, really That's good. Amazing. Yeah, I've seen them so many times. Uh, the Tormato Tormato Tour. Ah. So as an aside, Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson were the ones responsible to induct Yes into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017 since the bassist Chris Squire died in 2015. The group invited Getty Lee to play bass while they performed in the ceremony. That's right. Didn't they do Roundabout or something? I think it was Roundabout. Oh. I, for some reason, my brain wants to say Heart of the Sunrise, but that could just be my dream. I mean, it just, I was just in and around the lake when I heard that. Oh, were you? Ah, okay. Gotcha. (laughs) For fuck's sake. All right, the next one. Ow, ow, fucker. (laughs) (laughs) Ow, fucker. Inside joke. Uh, The next one, Jethro Tull, thick as a brick. This does not come as a surprise. I became uh, and had, wait. I became and have gotten very deep into prog rock of the time, and I became a big Jethro Tull fan. Still to this day, I think it's one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my life. He saw the Thick as a Brick tour. What an album. When I hear that album every once in a while on the radio, a snippet of it, it really brings me back to the show and a great period of time. So, yeah, no, Thick as a Brick. I'm not surprised by that with the, the prog uh, genius that they that they became, that they some of these giants of prog like Yes and Jethro Tull. Um, weren't huge influences. Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. I don't know if Bruce saw them on Thick as a Brick tour. I don't know. I'm sure he saw them live. They're still touring, but I hear he doesn't really sing. Obviously, there's no more singing from Ian Anderson. Uh, somebody else sings, or if he does sing, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, sometimes your voice is you he know, playing flute, fails. I guess. You know? I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't. It was something where it was coming into town, and we went, oh, it's okay. And uh, not that surprising. Very proggy, especially for the time. For sure. Absolutely. So a couple more that may or may not surprise you. Led Zeppelin, you shook me. Oh. Yeah, they're into the blues. Yes. They really are. So, yeah. I'd love to hear him do that. That'd be interesting. He says it was bluesy, but it was progressive heavy. The term heavy didn't really exist back then in terms of characterizing rock music that had this power behind it that was not volume. I love that he said that. It was the power that was weight, the chord structure that had impact and weight. Um, He says, so when Led Zeppelin came out, he was already playing in a band with John Rootsy and Alex. He remembers the first Led Zeppelin record that came out. John brought it over to my house and he sat in my bedroom and put this record on. We just couldn't believe the sound we were hearing. Yeah, that there are a lot of people who have test, testified, as it were, the uh, the impact that album had on them when they heard the, sure. the first album for the first time. Uh, Black Sabbath heard that together. They sat and listened to that together, and they're like to each other, did you hear how heavy that was? Yeah. And uh, Tony Iommi says confidently, we're going to be heavier, or we'll be heavier, or something like that. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. There is a, a sense of heaviness 
that isn't necessarily volume and it isn't even a super abundance of instrumentation. Yeah. It's so raw. Like, uh, you shook the gravity me. of it. You shook me. a good example. The Lemon Song's a good example. Yes, agreed. I mean, there's how exactly do you beat that? How complex, no matter how complex you get, there's something that will never do that this does. You know, I agree. And there's yeah. something very interesting, too, and it's a weird little aside. But one of the things I like to do, and Bruce hates this, but I definitely like to hear songs on a really nice system. But I also like to listen to them like on a cell phone or a computer to see if they still stand up, even though the sound is going to be shitty. And Zeppelin always stands up. It's still heavy. It's still weighty without being loud or without being through the perfect sounding, you know, device. So I will say that yeah, it stands it isn't up. A, you don't need a wall of sound. You don't. It has enough. It has the weight on its own. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, interesting here, though. I have to say, he's talking about a tour that he saw um, of them doing. He said they literally toured the house down because there were bits of plaster falling from the ceiling that night. To young guys, young musicians, this was a kind of magical night. One of my favorite concert memories where they played, it sounds like they played the Masonic Temple, and it only held about 1,200 people, and they were in the second row, and the place was falling down. But I guess they started with a song called Train Kept on Rolling, which is an old blues standard. So obviously a huge memorable night. When you're literally playing the place down, that's going to be pretty memorable. I mean, Train Kept a Rolling. I know they did that well, but they did that because the Yardbirds did that. And Paige played it in the Yardbirds, and they became the new Yardbirds, and then Led Zeppelin. And also, um, er- people, the uh, actually, not the younger people, the old goats like me also know it from Aerosmith. But the Yardbirds, uh, it goes way, way, way back. But yeah, Zeppelin was playing that, and that must have been freaking incredible. I can't even imagine. All right, well, what about the Who's Magic Bus? Not surprising. No, in fact, they covered some Who. Another, another case of the band, but not the song. They covered the Who's The Seeker. But uh, so it was like I would. In fact, I think I mentioned that to you once. I said one muppet, one muppet covering another. Yes. (laughs) To put it as so true, heinously cruelly as you do. Yes, one muppet covering (laughs) another muppet. Covering another muppet. Uh, It's muppet versus muppet. That's right. Uh, Both versions rock. It's a rocking song. But uh, this case, the magic bus. Interesting because it just. Well, no, it doesn't just chug, chug, chug. It goes berserk after a while, too. So it'd be interesting to hear what these... Uh, it's a very, very raw, primitive tune. So it'd be... In fact, it used to bore the hell out of John Whistle. So I can't imagine what these uh, proggy fellows did with it. Well, here's what he says. He says, I think the most that most rock bands today wouldn't sound the way they sound without The Who. I think that they're one of the most important bands to ever come out of England, certainly in his career, the most influential in terms of songwriting. Wow. Pete Townsend still is my absolute favorite rock songwriter and the most influential in terms of what a great rock song should be. I've got the chance to see them a couple times when I was younger. Roger Daltrey aside, (laughs) that's a three-piece band, really. Bass, drums, guitar, and vocals. Love that band. Wow. So that is where we, we differ, So in other sir. words, uh, Getty gets it, all right, I yeah. understand. Uh, yeah, that's well, well, the we who, go off right there. Just you know, we think of you know the, the greater Who songs or the, the better known Who songs and everything. They were very, very progressive. I mean, Pink Floyd level on uh, some Quadrophenia stuff. She's shaking her head over here. You know, uh, if you only can't say them in the same call, sentence. Call Ann Wilson, please. Uh, she'll vouch for me. They are what they are, but they should not be in the same sentence with Pink Floyd. Yeah. Give Ann Wilson a call on this one. All right, I'll give her a little little ring. Speaking of Pink Floyd, speak to me, breathe. 
is another one that wow. is highly influential to him. And I love again, like you said, that it's not the songs that were that they're well known for. I mean, this is somebody who listened to the whole album beginning to end. You know, he did. Of course, he did. And and breathe, uh, breathe is so dreamy. It's uh, so really kind of unlike Rush ever was. I mean, they were either you know they were soft, but they were always kind of propulsive. And it's just kind of a dream state song, the kind of thing Pink Floyd does so well. Uh, it's interesting that that would be so. I mean, we all loved it, of course. We of all course. grew up uh, absolutely immersed in this uh, fantastic album. And, jeez. Uh, uh, influence, no. I'm not surprised at all that he loved it because he has no. taste. But influence, none. It's not directly obvious. Well, let's share a little bit about what he has to say. He says, Pink Floyd, I remember seeing them in Toronto, and I think The Dark Side of the Moon was just coming out or hadn't come out yet. Wow. I think the first set they played echoes... From the previous album, you know, like a 12-minute extravaganza, and they were impressive also into a young musician, not just because of their song structure and the atmosphere, but the fact that they were really putting on an amazing show. They really understand showmanship. Now, I think that's interesting because many people would say that Pink Floyd are not showy. Yeah, and I think many people would say they're not showy, and they're not, like, highly visible. If you bumped into a member of Pink Floyd on the street... Most, only a few music geeks would even, hey, it's Richard Wright, hey, it's David Gilmore, maybe Gilmore. Yeah, you'd Gilmore. be like, you, you look like that guy that was in that band. That guy I am that guy that's in that band. That's yeah. singing about the pigs, that guy, you know. <laughs> the pig guy. The pig no. guy. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. By the way, which one's pink? I mean, really, they're not. It isn't like uh, Jones and Bonham and uh, right. Page and Plant. They kind of blend into the background. In fact, even the tribute bands have like seven or eight players so they can recreate their sound because n- it isn't really that important what they look like because very few people even know what they look like. Right. It's kind of true. I mean, I think... Which is more to their credit, uh, the impact they've had on people without any kind of serious visual... Uh, onslaught like a lot of bands had. Well, the 80s, they certainly came out in all oh, their videos. Yeah. The 80s was the, the time of the videos. But, I mean, their shows, obviously, they had a lot of uh, stuff going on in their shows, even if it wasn't about them. I mean, think of all the symbolism. Right. You know, whether you liked it or not, some people hated it, some people loved it. But there was symbolism. There was a lot going on there uh, visually. And really, obviously, in every sense, was really trying to get to you. So they definitely were a showy band in a way that, you don't necessarily maybe today think of as showy. Does that make sense? Yeah, some people have a way of just, they, they have this commanding power, and they don't have to be, like, super showy. Like, one of the greatest concerts I ever saw was David Bowie. Bare stage, white lights, no tricks, no costumes, no anything. Just Bowie. Just Bowie and bare stage, that's it. And the band, I mean, we're talking Carlos Alomar. I mean, it was, it was just incredible, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, Adrian Ballou. You know, oh, yeah. come on. All right, I'm going to just cover one more band because we are running out of time. The The last band, and one that he says the most about, but I'm not going to share all of it, is Genesis, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. He says, I got into Genesis early. A friend of mine turned me on to them right around the time they were doing Nursery Crime and the Musical Box. Oh, my God. Those early Genesis records, much more than the later records for me, those early ones were amazing because they were concept albums and they were so intricate. That's one of my favorite parts is the concept album part. And I love that part about the early Genesis with Peter Gabriel. It says, all these massive Genesis fans came to the show. uh, He's talking about a show when they came to Toronto, of course. And they far outnumbered the Lou Reed fans at the show. (laughs) The show was late. I don't even think they had all their gear. Uh, The light show didn't arrive in time. So they came on stage, they played their set, and were still blown away to hear. He blew everybody away to hear them. 
They opened with Watcher of the Skies. What? After their set, we all left. Poor Lou Reed had to come in when people were basically leaving. Ouch. I felt bad for him, but it's just a strange mismatch. Remember, we talked about mismatches. That's a huge one. Genesis Lou Reed. Yeah, that's come a big on. one. Yeah. No way. So um, he really loves it. He says that he thinks that they have these beautiful moments, complex moments. Peter Gabriel's voice in the sense of showmanship. And I remember when they came to Toronto, it really blew me away. And so that's what he has to say about Genesis. And Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, that song, it's just too fucking good. It's too good. Peter Gabriel's voice is too on point. The musicianship is, I mean, come on. The musicianship is out of this world. I am not surprised that he's also saying Genesis is one of his influences and that this particular song is high up there for him. Oh, no, I'm not surprised either because they are, after all, a prog band. Christina knows this about me, too, that I'm officially a weirdo because I like Collins era Genesis and Gabriel Solo better than the Gabriel era Genesis stuff. I think I was spoiled for Genesis because a friend of mine subjected me to The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, and I didn't like it very much, like at all. So I never really listened to any other, and that's probably I'm probably missing something, like they were saying. You might go back and try it again. Yeah, well, I might try another album or something, but... Uh, Anyway, uh, I know they're uh, talented fellows, and I'm not surprised at this connection at all, though. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, so Getty Lee's influences, seriously, are just really a who's who's list of of some of the best musicians, sans the who. But, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I do really think that Townsend is brilliant in many, many ways. I wish we could have removed Muppet from um, the lead and had him sing, because I'd rather hear him sing. But again, I know what huge giants they are and that they're hugely influential to people. So I just really think it's a who's who. And he's got amazing, uh, amazing taste. He's an amazing talent. And clearly he parlayed it into an amazing sound, completely unique and completely Rush. Absolutely. Yeah, there isn't anybody like Rush. And I I did have the pleasure of seeing them on the uh, Feral to King store. They were so good. So incredible. Uh, Because we were all like, wow. And they were like it. It was on that that tour, and, they, and the, we had the live album and the, the ones that went before, and they were just, uh, they blew our mind. And uh, they were playing fairly locally, and uh, that was good. And a little old ensemble you might have heard of called ACDC opened for them. Oh, I know them. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've heard of them. But anyway, uh, and there are people who prefer them to any other band ever, but uh, uh, Rush, no. Rush is, uh, is awesome. Rush is amazing, and I, I know I've probably said on other shows, but just in case people haven't listened to those other shows, Bruce got to see their last two performances ever. Wow. Ever. The last two. Their very last show he saw at the Forum. The last two shows they would ever, ever do. We might have had uh, our share of a little tiny bit of fun at Mr. Lee's expense before uh, about his <laughs> voice, uh, but we uh, n- neither of us ever denied his talent. Mm-hmm. Or the greatness of Russian music. Occasionally, he's a little bit of a drawback to them. Yeah, for me, he is. He's got a great voice, if you like that kind of voice. I don't. So it's I like hard it for me. I more uh, most of the time. But there are times when he's yeah. a little bit, you know. I just can't. But uh, it's, it's there's rough. no denying how brilliant all of them are. Absolutely brilliant. Love him. He's an amazing bassist, an amazing musician all around. And Rush is an incredible band. 
And it's just a personal thing. It's just, you know, some people hate John Anderson's voice, and I can certainly understand that. I grew to love it. I'm not there with Getty. Maybe it'll still come. Maybe once I reach 60, I will mature enough to like his voice. I remember being a young teenage shit for brains in a basement band trying to play Rush, trying to play Bastille Day. Oh, my. And uh, oh my. we weren't that. I mean, you know, but it, I can speak. I can vouch for how brilliant they are, uh, how brilliant the songs are uh, laid out and performed. Because they're not easy. They're not. They're no, <laughs> they're not. And Neil Peart, there's nobody like him. No one plays drums like him. And uh, we certainly miss him. And we're sad they'll never play again together. But we have the music. We have the memories. Getty Lee's still out there. Alex Lifeson's still out there making music. And Neil Peart is happy wherever he is. Took off to the Great White North. That's right. There he is. So hopefully this was a good winging it for you. I thought it was a very interesting uh, topic. And I know we both love Rush and we love Getty and we love to hear who influences these musical giants. We always talk about, that's the first thing we ask people when we're interviewing them, or one of the first things is who has influenced you. That's right. So I love hearing that stuff. And it was interesting to hear about Mr. Lee. Yeah, very, very interesting. So... Well, thank you all for tuning in for another episode of Winging It. And thank you, I guess thank you. I'm rat packing it here. <laughs> and I guess that only leaves for you to say... <clears throat> Let's fly this coop. This has been Birds of a Feather on What the Flock Radio.